There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 11, Developments. This is the first of our mid-season updates. They're not full podcast, they're just designed to keep you informed. We wanted to let you know if anything happened of any significance in this case before season two starts. And in fact, there has been a significant development. We'd got wind over the last few weeks that a major development was about to be announced by the German police and there was and I'm about to tell you all about that it could be the most significant development in this case for a very long time so the best thing I can do is read you that press release that was published in Desight a couple of days ago and it says in the case of a previously unknown dead person who was found in the North Sea off Heligoland in 1994 there are new findings. Did the man live in Australia before his death? This was announced by the Wilhelmshaven police and the Oldenburg prosecutor's office on Friday. Accordingly, a so-called isotope analysis has shown that the man must have spent most of his life in Australia with a high degree of probability. This is indicated by the lead isotope data found. German investigators have received support from Great Britain, but so far neither the verification of the complete DNA profile in relevant national or international databases, nor the publication of a photographic facial reconstruction have led to the identification of the unknown dead man. In order to gain further knowledge, the body was exhumed in December 2021, after which the said isotope analysis was carried out. With new photographic facial reconstruction, the police are hoping for more information about the dead man and there are also calls for witnesses in Australia. The unknown person had been rescued on July 11th, 1994 by the then Federal Border Police in the North Sea, west of Heligoland. According to investigations at the time, the man was about 1.97 metres tall, weighed between 70 and 75 kilograms and was between 45 and 50 years old when he died. Investigators found injuries to the head and torso. Because the body was also weighed down with weights, the authorities assume a homicide. That's all it says. But it seems our man was Australian. Now, it might be time for a short chemistry lesson. All elements, such as lead, come in different versions called isotopes. 
they have the same number of protons but different numbers of neutrons. So you can get a number of different isotopes of each element. Now elements are things like gold, silver, lead, mercury, carbon. Now the rocks and the soils in different geographic locations will have those elements but with very specific characteristic percentages of different isotopes. It will be a kind of signature. So if we look at lead from Africa, it will be different to lead from China, which will be different to lead from Canada, which will be different from lead from Australia. And if scientists examine the bone fragments of dead bodies, because we're made up of what we eat and what we ingest from the outside world, small traces of that lead will be found in the bones. They can identify what isotopes are present and in what quantity in those bones, therefore can work out from where in the world that lead got into those bones. That's how they identify where people came from. So that's the science. So clearly, when German scientists have had a look at the bone fragments of the gentleman of Heligoland, they've seen Australian lead, which makes them believe he's from Australia. And he could very, very well be from Australia. But there's a fly in the ointment. Now, these scientists are very, very clever people. They've probably thought of everything. But I was doing some research into the use of lead isotopes in preparation for this podcast, and I found a somewhat worrying case from 2012 in America, where lead isotopic analysis was used to identify that a person that was found in America was in fact from Europe. And they did that because they identified the lead in her bones. But that lead wasn't European lead. It was Australian lead that they found. So why would the presence of Australian lead in a dead body indicate that this person was from Europe? Because that seems completely counterintuitive. The problem was lead was used in petrol throughout the 1950s to the 1990s. All the petrol that was used was leaded. Lead from petrol was everywhere, in the atmosphere, on the ground, in the dirt, in the crops, everywhere. And therefore, that lead ended up in all of us if we were alive during that time. The problem is, European petrol had Australian lead in it. The whole of Europe was contaminated with lead. Australian lead, not European lead because of the petrol additive that was sourced from Australia. Now, I can only presume that the very smart scientists in Germany know this and have accounted for this. But as I found before, sometimes assumptions that people know things aren't always robust. Joe's away on holiday at the moment. So I called Ian just to get his thoughts on these new findings and what that meant for the investigation. Hi Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken, coming out of hibernation to have a look at our gentleman again. 
German police seem to think this guy's from Australia. Well, I know we had a, a number of updates that we wanted to include because we knew there was something coming. And yes, I've read that is it isotopic analysis of the bones has revealed that the gentleman grew up in Australia. Is, is that what they're saying? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Obviously, I've got a slight concern about it, which we'll talk about in a bit. But by the way, mean that he was in Australia you know, immediately before he died, that's different. Uh, but of it course. looks like he looks like he grew up in Australia. It looks like he spent a significant proportion of his life in Australia. Right. Have you not found something that makes us all scratch our heads a little bit as to how relevant it all is? Well, obviously, there's this thing about the Australian lead in European petrol and UK petrol. So, you know, I've got Australian lead in me, you've got Australian lead in you. Now, I'm assuming that the German police and German scientists are aware of that and also have accounted for that, and they still believe he's from Australia. I don't know how they do that, but I'm assuming they've done that. It is an absolute fact that we're all sitting here with, if you're in Europe, you've got Australian lead in you. So... That is definitely a fly in the ointment. Well, I, I would take a different view, Ken. My assumption would be that they, they've got the isotopic report back, they've read the rules, and they've said, therefore, he must have grown up in Australia without questioning or investigating that. I think that would be true to form. Um, my view would be it doesn't really change a lot. If being brought up in Europe means that we have the same isotopic bone analysis of lead as they do in Australia. I don't see how they can differentiate on that basis, whether it was brought up in Australia or Germany or the UK or anywhere in Europe. That's the reason that they're quoting to us as to why they think he was brought up in Australia. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that they're cleverer than that and and but but they might not be so uh i don't know what <laughs> I would, but but what i would what i would say is that even though they say they're certain this man came from australia i would personally leave the door a little bit wider open than that because all these findings may have been affected by this european lead thing uh but we'll see um what it absolutely is means he didn't float from australia we know that so so he he spent a load of time in the uk getting completely clothed in marks and spencer's gear before ending up in the north sea sometime in 1994 i agree entirely agree entirely that's what i mean all of our somebody coming off the humber bridge or falling off a cross channel ferry and drifting to where he was the time scale of when that might happen i don't think this finding invalidates any of that. I just think we've got to include it, haven't we? Wouldn't necessarily have considered people missing in Australia primarily from, and I think all of that remains valid, and we should push on with uh, with our investigations in terms of potential missing people and suicide victims, etc., down the east coast of the UK. I think that's true. I think, of course. 
happily, this podcast gets loads and loads of listeners in Australia, uh, as does the, the Fred podcast. So it might be useful to the police to know that this podcast is being heard in Australia. If anybody does, by the way, in Australia, know a six foot six person who disappeared in the early 90s, I could do with speaking to you. Or earlier. Or earlier. Or, or earlier. Uh, for anyone who's knowing anyone who's six foot six that went missing, they don't have to have gone missing very close to 1994. True. They could have gone missing 10, 15, 20 years missing to start a new life in Europe, for example. They could have lived that new life for 20 years and ended up being the guy in the sea. Yeah, wherever he's from. We start. We started looking at people going missing in the in the two or three years before 1994, and we haven't found them. So, logically, we need to widen our parameters and look a bit further back. Uh, and I know we've, we've come across a number of examples, <laughs> Lord Lucan was one that I did quote, of people who went missing, Lucan was 70. So he could, have, he could have lived his new life for 20 years and come back to Europe and ended up in the North Sea. As an example, I'm not suggesting that the uh, gentleman is Lord Lucan. One other thing we we should just mention, because there's something we know, isn't there, that the whole world doesn't know about this case, which it might be time. There might be time just to say, tell tell people what that is. And it's part of this discussion, because I'm pretty much sure that the the method they would use to extract the, the lead isotopes from this body would have been from bones now it's normally done through teeth and enamel on teeth specifically but it wouldn't have been possible in this case well tell me ken why is it not possible for them to have used the teeth in this case because ian they've lost the head the head of the gentleman of heligoland is missing so there's a, probably another podcast on the mysterious case of the head of the gentleman of Hollygoland, but he's the head's gone missing. And the head went missing a long time ago, and nobody knows where it is. Now, why the head is separated from the body is another mystery, because it wasn't separated from the body when they found him, but it got separated somewhere down the track and got lost somewhere down the track. So that's a that's a curious one isn't it it's very strange it's very strange but you know um i don't know i was going to say it was the 90s but let's be honest even the 1890s they would know it was probably worthwhile hanging on to all of the body if they were (laughs) going to do an investigation on it i don't know how they could possibly have lost the head perhaps we'll find out later on yeah well it, it but it does of course all these issues that we've talked about with crossbites all these other issues that we've talked about in terms of the Marfan and all that kind of thing. A lot easier to prove if you've actually got the head. But we don't have the head. So anyway. Well, so that, as long as that photograph, though, if that photograph that we've got of the skull is, is a photograph of the skull, then Josefina was absolutely adamant. The crossbite was was there. In Anyone looking at it with any, back, with any knowledge would tell you that there was a severe crossbite on it. No, and I'm sure that's true. And I'm sure those pictures are from the skull. Uh, from the original school. I just think they've probably got, I don't know, miles and miles and miles of cardboard boxes with stuff in from decades ago. Our head's in there, but nobody knows which box it's in. But they can't find the head and haven't been able to for years. So anyway, that probably means that they used 
other bones, leg bones, arm bones, in order to extract this lead uh, isotope analysis or for the analysis. That's where they are. So they think he's Australian. He may very well have been Australian, but we've still got this slightly complicating factor of the petrol. Absolutely. I think we need to talk to, uh, you have the expert, don't you? The expert's name. We have to try and get hold of them to see how discredited facing an Australian childhood on an Australian lead isotope in the bones is. But if it is, then this could be a massive red herring. So, yes, I do need to track him down. I will track him down and we'll see if there's... uh if there's anything that they do in order to allow for that and still be able to be certain that this person came from Australia. Super. Uh, Great, Ian. Thanks for that. And uh, yeah, this is just one of the little uh, updates that we're going to be providing, but there'll be another update as soon as you know any more. Yeah, well, I'm obviously going to burn the midnight oil and go and hunt through all sorts of missing Australian people that I can find. Brilliant. Uh, Let's see if we can find a six foot six one of the right age. We're really in business yeah. if, if, if that, because yeah. I'm still, I'm still, I would say, 75% sure they've got this right, that he did spend a lot of time in Australia, but we'll have to see. Right, well, I'm an equal percentage in the other direction, Ken, so between <laughs> us, we are totally on the fence. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> he might be. You're so cynical. Right, brilliant. All right, buddy, I'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, mate, see you soon. Bye-bye. So that's where we are. An interesting development, I'm sure you'll agree. I just hope they're not being fooled by this Australian-led thing, but I'm sure they won't be. So we're going to continue to keep our eyes peeled for any updates, from either the police or from anything that we unearth in the meantime. So we look forward to speaking to you again in a month or so. Keep us updated on your theories on the Who Was The Gentleman Of Heligoland Facebook page or by email at thegentlemanofheligoland at gmail.com. So, until next time, enjoy the summer and have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis. <laughs>